0: Downloading another episode of the Christian Humanist Podcast. This is Nathan Gilmore. I'm a, an English professor at uh, Emmanuel College in Franklin Springs, Georgia. On the line today, I'm joined by Dr. Dan Dawson, a meteorologist at Purdue University. Dan, you are about to take off for uh, the Southlands, are you
1: not? Yeah, um, I'm in this um, field program. We're studying uh, tornadic storms in the Southeast U.S. And uh, actually we just pulled the trigger on our first operations uh, down there in the Columbus, Mississippi area on Tuesday. So heading down with the crew tomorrow, nine and a half hour drive to get in position.
0: Very good. uh, Very good. Also joining us this fine day is the right Reverend Blake Miller. Blake, are you uh, going to Mississippi or any uh, big road trips in your near future?
2: Let's see. Uh, I'm, planning to uh, marry my next door neighbors in vermont but that's not until july so i still have some time to prep for that and figure out if we want to drive or fly
0: right on right on well listeners uh, you'll notice that uh, we haven't had too many episodes of the christian humanist podcast here lately uh you know we did the uh, halloween crossover then we did the uh, rise and fall of mars hill crossover and now we're doing uh, another episode you know what two months later We are going to get back to a more regular recording schedule fairly soon. Uh, I've been in uh, communication with Dr. Michael Farmer, and it looks like he is getting to the point where he might be able to start recording on a semi regular basis. Uh, We should also have at least one more of these sort of uh, ad hoc panel kinds of shows that I've been enjoying doing. Uh, So keep your uh keep your podcatcher subscribed and we will try to keep getting episodes out to you today's episode is inspired by a number of things one of them is that uh in our conversations about the uh, rise and fall of mars hill podcast uh when i was listening back to some of those episodes i kept hearing a certain word uh used in a way that i really hadn't heard before around 2017 or so um and then you know on top of that um There are, you know, a number of podcasts using a certain word in a new way. And then on top of that, uh, my friend in the podcast world, Trip Fuller of the Homebrew Christianity podcast, as we are recording, this has started an online uh, class called, well, at this point, I have to say the word, don't I? Deconstructing Jesus. What's interesting about this to me is that uh, since 2017, give or take, uh, that word deconstruction Uh, It's gerund and participle form deconstructing. It's verbal form deconstruct. Uh, They have taken on, I feel like, new connotations, but I'm not sure about that. So I wanted to get two smart people on the microphone with me and uh, have a conversation about that. So Dan, I want to start with a bit of autobiography on the 20th century version of deconstruction. So to what extent, if any, were you aware of Jacques Derrida of deconstruction of those sorts of things in your college and graduate school days, and if you were aware of it, what did you understand deconstruction to involve? Uh, and if not, you know, you can just say, you know, physics majors don't read Derrida, and that would be fine. But once you've told your story, hand it off to Blake.
1: Yeah, meteorologists don't read Derrida. That's my answer. No. <laughs> Very uh, good. <laughs> no, no. Um, uh, I, yeah my uh, my actual longer answers is not that much better, but um uh, I was really only vaguely aware of the name Derrida. I mean, I kind of knew it was out there, but um, uh, it wasn't uh, some it wasn't like some certainly I didn't have read any of his writings, uh, maybe third or hand sources about it at most. Um, but uh, I am I was and am somewhat more familiar with the term deconstruction. Um, so the 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 idea of deconstruction was uh, definitely much more my consciousness than the than the uh, you know the de facto originator uh, uh, writings uh, um, on the, on by themselves. So, uh, but uh, my understanding of what it really meant, at least at the time, this would have been, I guess, around the um, my in, in, I was in uh, grad, early grad school. Um, in the mid-2000s, um, or I would say grad, I was in grad school in the mid-2000s, uh, mid to late. And um, so I, around that time, my understanding was really um, several steps removed from the, from the originators. So that would be as it's used in, say, philosophical circles, literary criticism, linguistics, etc. cetera. Uh, my understanding was it was some kind of secular project. So this is just kind of dating me a little bit or, or uh, my mindset at the time was was like this. Um, it was some sort of secular project set up uh, merely to cast doubt on everything that attempted to make propositional truth statements about the world. And so I was, frankly, rather dismissive of it and um, didn't really give it too much more thought Um But I understand now that uh, as I've gotten older and I've been more widely read, listening to your podcast and others on the network and reading more stuff, that this was a rather naive and caricatured view of things. Uh, And I started coming more into contact. uh, So this is mainly toward my later grad school years and into um, uh, the later part uh, after after school career and stuff. Um, I started coming more into contact with Christian thinkers that discussed deconstruction. And this would be whether they were like, critiquing it or defending it, or merely just talking about it. Um, it became clear to me that a lot more was going on um, than my initial really light encounters led me to believe. Um, and that's actually, that's, that's a general statement for a lot of concepts that I, you know, used to think I knew what they were and what they meant and what my positions were on them back then. Um, I would, you know, that song, I was uh, so much younger than I'm older than that now or something like that. Um, I don't know necessarily wiser, but I like to try to think that I think more carefully about stuff, but I still want to be clear. I don't, I'm nowhere near certain still what what is really going on with deconstruction Um, either um, back then um, and I think I have a little bit better idea of what it's turning into now Um, but uh, I'm hoping this conversation will help shed more light on that so I think I'll stop there. Sounds good. Blake how about you?
2: Well, uh, my bachelor's degree is in English education, which is what, you know, you, the degree you want to get if you want to be a high school English teacher, that sort of thing. So I took a class on literary theories in college, and we did, uh, you know, we covered a wide range of literary theories and, and forms of criticism, like feminist, Marxist, form criticism, text criticism, and one of them was deconstruction. As I remember it, we we spent the least amount of time on deconstruction. And we were asked to use one of the styles of criticism we'd learned to uh, work with a certain text. And I chose deconstruction basically in a sort of a learn by doing kind of way. I wanted to understand what it was a little better. And so I used deconstruction for this uh, essay I was supposed to write. And I, I don't remember what it was on. I don't remember what I said. I just remembered I got... Probably a low B, kind of a middling grade. And the TA wrote, I wish something like, I wish you'd use more concepts inherent to deconstruction, like the concept of trace. Uh, but he said, but I can't fault you too much because we didn't really cover it that much. So actually, as I was preparing for this, I looked up the idea of trace in terms of deconstruction. And it says that uh, on Wikipedia, the entry says, trace can be seen as an always contingent term for a mark of the absence of a presence or an always, already absent <laughs> present. Whatever that means, right? So um, <laughs> I, I still couldn't tell you exactly what deconstruction is. I still have very little understanding of what Derrida was up to, but I, I, I do remember and I came to understand that it was the most incisive of all the criticism, uh, even to the point of saying, don't be sure that you even know what the definitions of these words you're reading are. So, to me, when you when you get to that point, it it ends you up in a place of saying a text can never truly be understood, can never really get your hands around it, or you can never have the right or correct single understanding of it. So, in that way, you know, the idea that deconstruction is the term that's been taken for what a lot of Christians are doing, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and I'm always getting the idea of a deconstructing Christian or Christian deconstruction tangled up with the idea of a person becoming more progressive, and I think we'll probably talk about that some more. So even as I talk about it, it might sound like I'm mixing those two, and I apologize if I do that again. But then again, you know, I can't be sure when it's one and when it's the other.
0: Oh, sure, 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 and and that and that's one of the interesting things is that because I came into Dairy Dawes Project, I mean through uh, you know, among other things, you know, John Caputo's book, uh, deconstruction in a nutshell, and then through some, what I would call more conservative appropriations of deconstruction, uh, I didn't for the longest time associate it with progressive politics in any simple way, uh, mainly because deconstruction also renders all, uh, progressive conclusions provisional. So, you know, I, right. I kind of took it as kind of a, uh, Uh, you know, to to borrow, you know, Friedrich Nietzsche's image, I mean, I I considered it not a theory, but dynamite. Uh, So, you know, it it was there to show where, you know, purported systems and, you know, uh, things that presented themselves as kind of a final uh, response to things or a final system uh, to have internal contradictions that required further system building. So, you know, the way that I learned it, and again, you know, one of the things that I've, I've picked up on about deconstruction over the years is that a whole lot depends on where you learned it, who you learned it from, you know, what text you were working from, so on and so forth, which I imagine is true of a lot of these schools of criticism, but it seems like it is more pronounced with uh, 20th century style deconstruction, uh, but I mean, you're going to get very different answers from different people, so... That's interesting that, you know, I mean, right. you know, Dan, I mean, you were kind of tangentially aware of it, you know, Blake and I did some reading on it, you know, there in, in the undergraduate years. And then, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of read around since then. Um, but I'm interested in, you know, how that uh, and, you know, the deconstruction that we were just now kind of describing, you know, that involves uh, discovering contradictions within texts that then require a new theorizing and, you know, kind of a stance toward the text that the current interpretation uh, might be the best that we can do right now, but it's never a final one. How did that become uh, what I've started to hear about, like I said, probably in the last five, six years most. So Blake, since you are the youngest of our trio here, uh, my hunch, unfounded or otherwise, is that you likely encountered the the new version, the more recent notion of deconstruction. Before I first heard about it in January, 2017, from another friend in the podcasting world, Dan Koch, uh, who has become one of my favorite podcasters. Dan uh, was already the host of a a podcast called Reconstruct. And, uh, you know, when I met him and he told me about it, I kind of asked him, I, I said, you know, what does that mean, Reconstruct? He said, well, it's, you know, people who are trying to find their faith after deconstructing and i kind of i, I kind of did the uh i oh i can't remember which uh was it the maxell dog that kind of did the the head cock to the side thing i i didn't yeah. understand quite what he was talking about because i thought he was talking about derrida and eventually you know he humored yeah. the old man and explained to me that you know deconstruction now means something else uh now like i said that was in 2017 the podcast called the deconstructionist also seems to have launched around five years ago, give or take. So, Blake, were those podcasts latching on to usage of the word deconstruction that was already pretty common, or were they making linguistic change happen more than they were riding a wave?
2: That's hard. It's hard for me to recall, you know, in my own personal experience, maybe because I was in college using the word for a different thing itself, and maybe even using that word for my own soul seeking, I did some scant research, I I typed it, you know, the word deconstruction into Google Trends. And it told me that there was a spike of people using the word, you know, to search for stuff on Google back in like 2004. But even after that, there was no spike around, you know, 2015, 2016. And even though, you know, off the top of my head, I would want to say there's got to be some correlation between uh, their the victory of Donald Trump for the, the presidency in 2016 and people deconstructing from their faith. I, I, that just sounds to me like so, so true, it has to be at least somewhat true. Um, I did do some research and I, I landed on a book called Deconstructed Church, Understanding Emerging Christianity, which was, seems to be centered around the emerging church movement that I know started around any, anywhere from 15 to 20 years ago. In fact, Mark Driscoll uh, whom we talked about last time, was often entangled with the emerging church. And there was also the emergent church. And I remember he specifically said, I'm emerging, but I'm not emergent. So if you want to go down another couple of rabbit holes. I was like, going to say, which <laughs> even back very, then very, very, sounded like a, a baloney
0: distinction. But, <laughs> but yeah. anyway, keep rolling, yeah. keep rolling.
2: So, yeah, I think the confusion on this idea and the sense that we've heard this word used for maybe longer than it has been Stems from the fact that it seems to stir up a lot of emotions and different pictures in people's minds. So, you know, for some people, when they're saying I'm deconstructing, it's like I'm looking at this, you know, Lego set that that appears finished and I want to like look over it and see if there's any pieces missing. And that's what people are saying when they're saying I'm deconstructing. And then for other people, like, for instance, you know Joshua Harris, he wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and then one or two years ago announced that he was no longer a Christian. The podcasters Rhett and Link uh, kind of expressed that they were Christians, as far as I understand, right before they said they were deconstructing and then left the faith, uh, according to them. So there's some people who are saying I'm deconstructing and they mean I'm really trying to make sure I have a reason to believe all these things I believe. So, I'm like putting apart, taking apart the machine and then putting it back together. And then there are some people that just move, you know, use the word deconstruction to mean I'm just going to take apart the machine and leave it there. I'm just trying to, you know, work my way out of the faith. And especially a lot of conservative evangelical people are using the word deconstructing or they're thinking about people who say they're deconstructing as people who are saying they're trying to work their way out of the faith. So, I think the use of the word for that reason is itself new. And it bubbled up from the masses rather than coming from some academy or ivory tower or some big text that kind of codified it for everybody else. And that kind of contributes to how it's kind of a murky definition and usage.
0: That makes some sense. So, I mean, Blake, how much overlap and how much distinction do you think there is between the new use of deconstruct and the... 1990s phrase which you know comes to my mind which is making the faith your own because I feel like that's Mm. something that you know I heard a lot as an undergrad at a Christian college I mean you know when we were engaging with Friedrich Nietzsche and Karl Marx and you know a lot of the thinkers that you know we were warned against as dangerous thinkers you know the the rationale for studying them and letting their critiques settle in with us was that we needed to make the faith our own is, is there more overlap or is there more distinction there?
2: I think that it's it's kind of like a, a almost a parent child uh, kind of thing, or even like a, a failed experiment giving rise to a new experiment kind of thing. Uh, you know when i when I look back at it, I can almost chart in my mind this idea of the rise of the religious right, and the moral majority, and this very uh, comfortable sense that. Christianity had had it kind of taken its place as the standard issue, you know, faith and, and set of beliefs and practices of the American people. And then, of course, you know, people under it talk about, well, I don't understand why that should be so. And then there comes the idea of make the faith your own. But there had to have been, you know, in, in any of in any case where you're hearing something like you got to do this work yourself, there's going to be people that are able to do that work and people that are not. Um, or people that are willing to work hard to do it and people that are not willing to do that work to to make the faith their own in this instance. And so there's this sense of, I would say, disaffection and not just a sense of, um, you know, not believing what has been believed, because Christianity is interesting. If you believe Christianity is true, you generally want as many other people to believe it to be true as well. So you probably raise your children in it and you want them to do it. So you, you don't just come to Christianity most of the time, especially in America, because out of nowhere, uh, it, it's, it's something that you kind of get through cultural osmosis. So that, to me, leaves a space for people to deconstruct and say, you know, I was given this system, this idea, this religion beforehand, and I kind of accepted it when I didn't know what else to do, or when I was you know, too young to make my own decisions, that kind of thing. And now is the time I've got to really figure out if I want this or need this or believe this or not, hence this time of deconstruction. So in a way, I would say that uh, deconstruction is almost maybe a more cynical idea of making the faith your own, <laughs> like less I'm going to figure it out so that I can believe, and more I'm going to do the work and I'll either believe or I won't believe, or I'll either, you know, believe everything I was taught as a kid, or, you know, maybe even half the things I was taught or just a few things. Because in this, you know, post-postmodern world, we're also able to say, you know, the, these things are true. And these other things that we used to think were contingent are no longer contingent. We can just pick and choose what truths we want, wherever we wherever we like, that sort of thing as well.
0: Right. Dan, I'd, uh, where do you want to jump in on this? I mean, first of all, I mean, when did you first start hearing deconstruction you know in the new sense was it around 2017 or was it earlier
1: Uh, yeah um, my memory is terrible these days um i i i want to say that it was earlier than that i um i think that um i think something that blake said is um really is important to note is that i think we um think it may have been around a long time or 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 because it's so emotionally charged. And I think that some something similar may be happening with the, the association with the Donald Trump presidency um, that you know it's obviously very emotionally charged um, for a lot of people and um, and uh, there there's a natural tendency for our minds to kind of like link those two together. but I feel like it was um, uh, in fact no I, I, know, I know that it was, I was aware of this new usage at least two or so year, three years before that, like I had 2014, 2013 timeframe, even, um, by just, uh, I started, um, by some of the blogs I was following and things like that. So, and it could be, I'm just retconning the whole thing. And I, but the concept was there, but the word itself wasn't, but certainly the concept was, and, um, so that's what I would say there. It's kind of interesting when just trying to cast my memory back and realizing that I'm not a really sure, but it feels like it's been a while. Um, yeah, I think um, what uh, Blake said, I agree with a lot of what he said. Um, I do think that um, there is this um, sense that it was this bottom-up kind of thing. And I also do agree with him that there was a lot of um, – a lot of folks when they say deconstruct um they they mean really something closer to what we would consider to be deconversion um and but i also think that a lot of that it's too easy for um particularly people um with more of an evangelical conservative evangelical persuasion to 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 make that the only meaningful definition of the word um, and and say, oh well, that your your deconstruction—that's just really deconversion. So don't do that. You know, I think that's a little bit too cynical of a take. Or, or I, I would even go further than that. I would say it's a lot too cynical of to a take. I think it is true. There's there is truth to that, but um, for for some people, but not for everybody. <clears throat>
0: right and, and uh, oh, we can oh, we go can, ahead go ahead yeah uh, we no, can I, get to I, as we go yeah yeah, yeah. I, I was just going to turn to our listeners and say i mean if any of you have done the uh you know the work on this linguistic change or if you've read somebody who has by all means uh email us at the christian at gmail.com because uh you know clearly this is something all three of us have a sense that it you know the shift happened at some point but it's hard to hard to pinpoint where it, uh, bubbled up from below, so to speak. So, um, Dan, I want to turn to the, uh, article that we all read, and I'm going to try to remember to put the link in the show notes. Uh, it's an article from, uh, 2019. So just, uh, you know, three years ago called deconstructing faith. Um, what are a few of the big takeaways from that piece? Uh, you know, Blake and I might highlight some other parts once you're done, but, uh, get the ball rolling. Cause I mean, when I was, when I was, you know, doing some cursory internet research, this one seemed to have a good snapshot feel, even if it didn't have the narrative feel that I was looking for. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I really liked the piece. I thought, uh, I, that's actually a really good way of putting it. It's a snapshot, not as much of a, a narrative. There's a lot of uh, like anecdotes from different people, um, using deconstruction. So, um, in different ways. So, um, one of the, um, uh, so I, w- I think I had a couple big takeaways from, from that article. Um, uh, one is that there is a, so family resemblance, uh, of the new, uh, new kind of, or the, in the Christian, um, context version, new version of it, the term, and that brought, um, um, originated by Derrida and others. It, there's a, there's a, a kind of a descent with modification evolution, I should say, of the term from that. So I think you can draw a line um, of, of some kind of inheritance, um, but there's been a lot of evolution um, between uh, the old and the new. Um, so that's one thing that I got from that. Um, but uh, enough, the other takeaway is that this is a really, and I think we already touched on this, but it's really multifaceted multidimensional, um, it means a lot of it means different things to different people. Um, I uh, partly from reading this article and partly some of my um, other uh, my own form, forming opinions from just following a lot of people on social media and others um, and blogs and things like that. Is that we should it should not be cynically dismissed as just a mere cover or, pre, or prelude to deconversion. So um, I think that was another takeaway I got from it. Um, it Again, it does happen. And I think that uh, in, in a lot of cases, it does tend to trend um, towards somebody coming from a more confer- conservative background, ending up in a more progressive uh, direction. Now, to the extent that you um, um, think, that uh, that is problematic, then you might consider that, you know, some kind of akin to deconversion, but I don't think we necessarily have to do that, but that, that's really my opinion. Um, and uh, so I think um, other things, just re- reading different, um, some of the different stories in there is that some of the, the good things that can come from, from quote unquote deconstruction in this manner Um, is that it can really get people to think seriously about what it is they actually believe. So Blake was mentioning folks who are brought up in the faith, um, sort of absorbed from their family or or by cultural osmosis, and wondering, do I really believe this? And um, in such a case, uh, a serious good faith effort to deconstruct can be a prelude to a much more vibrant um and and uh uh I hate to use this word, but this is another loaded word, authentic um faith. Um uh on the other hand it can um also um lead to a um some some fairly dark outcomes and uh and I don't just mean deconverting from the faith but just also um, uh, becoming just, um, I don't know where I was going to go with that, just um, becoming just as dogmatic and wonder and in the, uh, you know, as sort of an uh, anti-Christian or even just anti-evangelical um, as you were previously, you know, um, pro-evangelical. In some cases I've seen this happen too. So, uh, I, before, uh, at the risk of, uh, continuing and rambling, I think I'll stop there, but that's, that's my take from it. I think it's just, we gotta be really careful when we're discussing, um, this term and that we don't, it's too easy to fall into, um, uh, either embracing to, um, it too much as a good, as a, uh, always a good thing, but also cynically dismissing it as just a, uh, lipstick on a pig of, you know, be conversion or something like that, depending on your perspective. Right. Is that, a, is that, yeah, no, no, that no, that's good. More that's than, good. Blake,
0: <laughs> what, what else should we focus on in this article? Cause I've got a couple things jotted down. I want to respond to, but I want to hear from you first.
2: Um, I appreciate, uh, what was already said, uh, And I I really want to kind of land hard on this idea that there is a sense of um, almost (laughs) a a new kind of conservatism that comes from this, depending on how you do it. And uh, in regards to some of the things that we've read from this piece, like for instance, I remember Richard Rohr's little uh, segment of it where it seemed like he was talking about deconstruction and coming to a completely new understanding of your faith uh, as something that you just have to do. And he mentioned like these three phases of order, disorder and reorder. And it almost seemed kind of I might be reading into it too much. It might be I might be showing telling a little bit more about myself when I say this, but it almost seemed passive aggressive. Uh, or dismissive or contemptuous of people who say, no, I was taught this at 12 and I still think it's true. You know, And one of the questions I really want to ask somebody who might consider themselves an expert or any kind of vanguard for uh, deconstruction would be, one, why does it seem like there's always this very nebulous, ultra-conservative, evangelical Christianity you're deconstructing away from? It seems like there aren't, There's not a lot of attention paid to the very vast differences of opinion between all of the different Christian traditions and denominations. There's just this idea of what traditional beliefs are, and then there's this new reconstructed theology. And so I'd also want to say, is it possible to deconstruct and not become, for lack of a better word, again, more progressive, like, and to deconstruct and not just lose things you currently have? Like, can you deconstruct from being a Calvinist to an Arminian? Or can you even maybe deconstruct into what a lot of people would consider a more conservative, more restrictive, or or higher church? Like can you can you deconstruct from being a Baptist who believes that there are only two ordinances to maybe going all the way to Catholics who believe in seven sacraments? And it seems like there's not a lot of verbiage for that. There's not an idea. It just kind of seems like Either you haven't deconstructed yet, in which case you better get on it. Your time is running out <laughs> or you're in the middle of deconstructing or after you're done deconstructing and you have successfully gotten rid of all the barnacles and detritus from the, the true authentic Christian faith that have been holding it down and holding you down. And I, I, it's hard for me to you know, completely agree with that and, and take that so easily.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, one thing that uh, that Dan... Uh, kind of hit and then backed off of is this idea of an authentic faith. And it's interesting because that that is rooted in, or linguistically it's related to, uh, you know, the Greek uh, reflexive pronoun autos, oneself, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, I, I you know, once again, I'm, I'm kind of seeing at the very least some kind of relationship between the old make the faith your own and the new deconstruction, right? Um, the other thing that, you know, I, I, I kind of picked up from, Blake is that, yeah, I mean, you know, the and and this is where I do go back to Derrida, you know, his projects seem to make claims about any kind of complex intellectual system, whereas this kind of deconstruction, you're right, uh, if you used it in a narrative about uh, becoming a Catholic after having been a mainline Protestant, uh, it doesn't seem like deconstruct would apply there necessarily. Uh, so I mean, you know, I, I think that it is both a a change and it is a narrowing of, or one of the kinds of changes. Let me put it that way: is a narrowing of scope, right? So that certain kinds of changes are deconstruction, but other kinds of changes are not. Whereas, I mean, from what I have read of Derrida, and I'm not by any means a Derrida scholar, I have I have. Uh, you know labored my way through a few of his books but by no means would i say that i'm a, a person who could teach derrida fluently uh, you know it, it seems like it is a very pervasive system rather than a system uh, or you're not supposed to call deconstructionist a system it's a pervasive uh, tendency rather than something or that is method. limited to can't call it anything yeah there you go uh, very particular uh historical context does that make some sense
1: yeah I, uh, Dan ahead. first Dan first sorry <laughs> no it's, it's, it's all right um um yes that that makes sense um I I I would also agree that I I think moving from from like say something like Calvinism to Arminianism or two ordinances the seven sacraments whatever I personally wouldn't call that deconstruction um I struggling to come up with any examples where I've seen people use it in that. I'm sure they have. Um, but um, uh, the sense that I do get from how deconstruction is being used currently is it it at the very, it, it, it bears um, certain, um, certain uh, aspects to it that, um, seem to be common to a lot of the the um, the, the uh, experiences that people talk about when they talk about deconstructing. One being that they are questioning a lot of stuff that they previously did not question seriously. So, um, so I would think to the extent that you're doing that, we could call that a part of deconstruction. Um, again, this is not this is um, not making a value judgment about whether such a thing is a good thing or not, um, but more descriptor descriptive um and uh the another would be that it's uh it involves holding more things loose uh more loosely more doctrinal um commitments particular um uh, theological propositions and stuff more loosely than you did and so i'm going from a more tightly bound or systematic um view, uh, uh, you know, theological view or a Christian view to a more, uh, well, I'm not exactly sure about that. And is that really that important anyway? You know? Um, and those are the two, I, those are two big things that I see as fairly common to a lot of them. And then of course that can go in a lot of different directions it can go toward, well, I just don't think I believe any of this stuff anymore, or it could go with like, no, I really do think that Jesus is the son of God. He, he resurrect, um, he resurrected on the third day and he's the king of creation and I still follow him, etc. Uh, things that we would recognize as being, a, you know, a clear Christian commitment. Um, so I think it re- really depends, but um, I think that, yeah.
2: <laughs> I just, I have to, I wonder if there's anybody who says the real ge- deconstruction is getting away from, the reformation or the great schism and, and going back to the Catholic teachings of 1800 years ago and beyond that sort of thing. Uh, and it, it, it really, when I think about the way these terms are used and when I read blogs by people who say they've deconstructed it, it often feels like people feeling cornered and not having any sense of there being a new ground to cover new, uh, truths to, to reveal or to find or discover. And it's almost like they're trying to say, you know, the entire world has been mapped and I don't like that. So I'm going to like start digging straight down into the earth just to find some new land to be in a new frontier and a new wilderness. And there's a certain appeal to that I can think of when I think about that, but at the same time, it it does kind of feel a little indulgent to me. And it it kind of sounds like it's a, a sort of a me first and, uh, you know, craving-centered way of figuring things out, especially figuring out what you believe is true about the world and and all of humanity.
0: Right, right. Well, let's focus in on one element of that theological shift. Uh, You know, Blake, I mean, when you have talked to people uh, who are deconstructing, and when you have read the blogs of people who use this new sense of deconstruction, uh, what have been some broad trends? I realize variety is going to be uh, absolutely the, the the context that we're operating in. But within that variety, uh, what are some patterns? What are some through lines? What are some common grounds about how deconstruction interacts with scriptural texts?
2: Yeah, um, to be cynical, it would be <laughs> like a cynical person who is just very anti-deconstruction might say, it's all about going into the scriptures and twisting them so that they say precisely what you want. And then a more uh, optimistic maybe reading would be to say recovering what might have been lost or downplayed and really finding uh, some of the core principles or truths that scripture teaches. So I think to start, I would say that that's something that I I hear from a lot in, in deconstruction would be what are the absolute essentials? What do we start with? What do we you know, live day by day? And so that usually kind of finds us at somebody saying, the real thing is to love. And we need to love, we need to love better than we have. We need to love more than we condemn or love more than we judge or anything like that. Um, and sometimes, of course, it's very difficult for anybody, I think, to define love in what feels like an all-encompassing way. Like there's there's this sense of, you know, previously people haven't been using the right definition of love and here's the new correct definition. And then that kind of works hand in hand with this idea of well, a lot of things that we elevate to being really important issues are smaller issues and they are distracting us and they're diluting our ability to work into this world and to, to be a voice that people actually want to hear. And, you know, that might mean uh, anything from, this, this issue like human sexuality and, and what these words mean and what kind of restrictions we might put on ourselves, that's not as important. But at the same time, if we are not talking about things like social justice, then what does it matter that we're saying anything else? So we need to raise the importance of that. Another big stream would be to say uh, we can kind of be sure that the Bible doesn't deserve to be treated with the same reverence it used to be. Um, some people might say we have basic proof at this point that the Bible is not inerrant. And of course, there's multiple definitions of the word inerrant there's multiple definitions of the word infallible and perfect and completely true, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, there's, there's room for somebody to say that and room for somebody to, to make a counter argument. And, and you can also say, Hey, you know, look at here where Jesus changed the status quo of his time, so why don't we do the same? You, you know, surely in 2000 years, we need to do a, a few things differently. And I know just enough factoids to say that that we can do that within the confines of our biblical and scriptural tradition. And then a third one would be something like, you know, people have just not been interpreting this passage of scripture correctly. Um, I know that there's been a popular TikTok video of a young guy I don't know what his credentials are. I think he might call himself a pastor or whatever. That that story of the Canaanite woman who wants, you know, healing from Jesus, and he says it's not right to give uh, what is meant for your children to the dogs, and people being able to go so far as to saying that's Jesus being racist, and she corrects him, and you know, corrects his mistake of racism, or maybe if they even want to say it, his sin of racism. So you'll you'll see a few examples of that as well. So uh, you know. There's all these different angles that these deconstructors have been able to use to find a space to open up this conversation. And again, if you want to be uh, cynical, you would be basically, you know, you you can say they did that and are continuing to do that by just not taking the Bible at its word or as seriously as it deserves to be taken. And if you want to be more optimistic, you can say they're, they're looking at the Bible with fresh eyes and we need to have fresh responses to what they say and maybe even a little humility ourselves in, in whether we immediately reject everything that they're saying.
0: Dan, what have you seen? What have you
1: heard? Yeah, um, I think those are all um, um, valid observations. Um, I... Um, I could you uh, Nathan? Could you uh, repeat the the precise question you asked, um, Blake? Yeah. So, so sure when 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 it.
0: deconstructors interact with biblical texts, I mean, what are some of the trends? Okay. Granting at the outset that variety is going to be the key, but within that variety, what are some of the nodes? What are some of the
1: through lines? Yeah. So I don't really uh, I really don't have a whole lot to add to what Blake said. I think that there's a there certainly is um, a lot of talk about um, what inerrancy does or does not mean. Um, there's, um, I think, there's a lot. Of one one trend I do see, I guess, is and it's and is a focus on um, the um, the words of Jesus in the Gospels um, uh, at the I, I, at the expense of or uh, at least in terms of emphasis to, um, people like, uh, um, that came after like Paul and, um, the, um, the, uh, the other, uh, apostles that wrote the letter, le- um, later letters in the New Testament. It feels like there's a lot of appeal to like, well, Jesus said this, and this was very counterculture and this was very, you know, anti-religious leader at the time. So I, I see that as an, as an emphasis, um, in the conversation, um, uh, a lot of folks who claim to be undergoing deconstruction want to try to whittle things down as much as they can to, okay, let's start with where, what Jesus said here. And yeah, and then then it becomes, um, there's that temptation on the side of somebody who's deconstructing to try to make it fit a certain trend that they are already moving towards, certain philo- ph- philosophical bent that they have. But as Blake also pointed out, there's also a trend for um for um folks who for the critics of, of deconstructors to to um basically cast the whole thing as just, oh, you're just trying to twist scripture to justify your your sinful desires or whatever. And there's a clear answer here and um you know, sort of a defensive circle of the wagons toward kind of approach. Um, so I think there's, there's a, uh, to the extent, and I think Blake, you said something important, I think um, there's the key operative word here is humility. And, um, and that comes from whether you consider yourself deconstructing or having deconstructed or not is to have um, a healthy dose of humility and make sure we understand what actually the person is saying before we make a conclusion about, it's um veracity. right right whether it's in good faith or not
0: Mm -hmm. yeah one thing that that i'm trying to get my head around still and and you know i mean i have kind of read around and you know listened to some podcasts and so on and so forth i haven't by any means done an exhaustive study of the new deconstruction which i kind of like that phrase i think that's what i'll call it now uh but you know One thing that's inherent in the Bible itself that that gives me pause, uh, whether I want to go with the deconstructors or whether I want to dismiss the deconstructors, uh, is this tension inside of the scripture itself that so many passages within it, whether you're talking about uh, Jesus against the temple authorities, Jesus against the synagogue authorities, Paul against the synagogue authorities, Isaiah against the royal ideology, Jeremiah against the temple ideology, Elijah against the kings of Israel. I mean, it's it's just all over the place that the Bible itself highlights and casts as the protagonist people who are opposing other trends inside of the tradition that we call Israel. So, I mean, it seems like uh, following that in some way uh, has to, I mean, I, I would even say something as strong as that seems to be the content of the faith. Right. Uh, so, I mean, you know, uh, if you are not in tension with the authorities, uh, then, you know, at minimum, you're no longer doing what Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, and so on and so forth, all the way up to Jesus, Peter, and Paul are doing Right on the right. other hand, the only reason that you would ever find out about those things if it is if you were part of that tradition in the first place. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a, uh, you know, and, and, and I, I realize listeners that some of you are picking up on what I'm doing here. I'm trying to bring 20th century deconstruction to bear on 21st century deconstruction, but I think it really works that, uh, you know, you really do have this weird uh, contradiction that, I mean, you have to be an insider to know that, resisting the insiders is part of the faith uh and also when you resist the insiders of the faith uh you can only do so because of your identity as an insider to the faith so i mean uh and, and you know as with uh you know plato's dialogues and jacques derrida's essays i don't think i have an answer to it uh but i do want to point to hey look look it's deconstruction is happening and not the 21st century kind, the 20th century
1: kind. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's so it, it's funny. I'm just listening to you there, Nathan. Is that um, I did a, a little bit of dust um, dusting up on um, on Derrida um, before this podcast. I mean, and that by by a little bit of dusting up, I mean I looked through some Wikipedia pages and some of the first order links from those pa- from those pages about it, and to the extent that I could understand what the heck um, Derrida meant by this. I think you sounded a lot like that there, where you're, where you're talking about how um, we, you know, we, there's this inherent kind of contradiction, and we're trying to define terms against other terms, and using, uh, you know, terms as they were used in a certain uh, period to critique those in a different period, and that the Bible is full of that, and and, and um, it actually, uh, makes a lot of sense to me i think you're 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 right you you both have to be an insider and being willing to buck the trends of the inside uh in order to uh, you know to really i i i guess i i don't want to go as far as to say um to be part of the faith of course not but that is written into the DNA of it, it it's if it's it's in the scriptures you know over and over again like that So I I I really like what you're doing. Right.
0: And it reminds me uh, on the uh, core curriculum podcast, which listeners, if you haven't checked that out, you really need to check it out. Um, I was on an episode with Michael Farmer, uh, who I love dearly. And I know that I'm a pain in his backside, uh, which honestly is why our podcast has been so good over these 12 years. Uh, But, you know, I I gave a reading of book 10 of uh, Plato's Republic. And Michael says, "That's not Plato. That's Derrida." And I said, "No, that's not Derrida. I mean, that's inherent in the text. If Derrida helps us to see it, then I mean, that that doesn't change the fact that that tension, that contradiction, is right there in what Plato wrote." And Michael said, "That's just what Derrida would say."
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that's that's what it. Uh, yeah, I think that you're right. He, at least in this, it seems like that that this that approach, that Derrida's approach, at least polite in this way can help us see what's there um uh you know and of course there are numerous caveats you could put on that but I just I I found that pretty interesting a take there
0: and and Blake I was flapping my gums and I you were trying to get in what were you going to say man
2: Uh, I think you covered it no I think and I think I kind of gave my comprehensive understanding as well but no I think you had it good
0: All right. All right. Well, there's another question that's always on the table for me and and it's come up a few times and I I have so far, I'm going to congratulate myself on my humility here. Uh, I, I have managed not to jump on this, but Dan, when I hear people talk about deconstruction, the new kind, theology is always a component and evangelical subculture, the youth groups and the private schools and the homeschool curricula are always part of it. And in every case that I can call to mind, partisan loyalty specifically to the GOP has been part of the story. Whether the main villain is Ronald Reagan, George W. Bush, Donald Trump, whoever it is, the GOP figures into it in some way. And I think think there's a place for that because I mean, you really can't tell the story of evangelism or evangelicalism, pardon me, over the last 40 years without mention of The moral majority, the religious right, so on and so forth. What bothers me is that uh, when people use deconstruction, uh, it's the name of a journey that's so different from mine that it's hard for me to get my mind around. So, my own path, you know, I, when I converted to Christianity as a, a youth group teenager, you know, I kind of by default, you know, went to a kind of GOP politics. And then, you know, in college, when I started reading Derrida, among others, I became suspicious of political parties in general. Uh, and then, you know, once I got to be, you know, voting age, uh, I was a pretty predictable and boring DNC voter for about 20 years. And then around 2018, I couldn't do it anymore. That's another conversation. But here's what I'm driving at. I promise there is a question in our future. Uh <laughs> The folks that I have talked to who have undertaken the new kind of deconstruction seem to be loyal to the Democratic National Convention in ways that are at least as intense as the evangelical loyalty to the House of Bush 20 years ago. Have I just had bad luck here? I've I've just run into the super partisan deconstructors. Or do you see similar shifts not from partisan to not partisan, but from partisan to other partisan?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Really, really good question. I think um, certainly in the uh, in our in the context of the the American church, and and you cannot talk about deconstruction without bringing up the 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 political um, allegiances shifting, and uh, particularly particularly partisan the partisanship um, that we're dealing with. I think this is probably less of a front and center for, um, say across the pond. Um, uh, it's interesting that that 2019 article that we read was uh, written from a was it premier Chris, Christianity and that's a British uh, publication. So, um, they're, they're, particular, and, but they did interview, you know, or they did have quotes from a lot of American Christians. I, I think that's definitely true. So sticking with that context, um, uh, the, um, A lot of the folks that I've encountered both in person and online do seem to fit this idea of having a common starting point in a relatively conservative Republican voting, fundamentalist slash evangelical circles. Um, And uh, I'll have to say that um, this is one of the biggest things that kind of sticks in my craw about some of these. I would say too many of the deconstruction narratives that are out there. So um, let me just kind of um, unpack that a bit. On the one hand, I'm very sympathetic toward those who are facing up to the often agonizing periods of doubt and disillusionment that come with questioning the faith, or at least ex- certain expressions of the faith um, of one's upbringing or otherwise. Um, and I, 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 the reason I am is because I've dealt with that a lot myself, and I think that um, it's uh, there would have been a time where I would have been much more, much harsher, more dismissive. Um, more like, oh, you just got to, you know, read this article and, or think about this and, and believe this proposition and you'll be okay. And if you're not, that just means that there's something, you know, spiritually wrong with you and stuff. And, and I just don't, I can't believe that anymore because I dealt with it myself. And so um, uh, having that sympathy and having that empathy, I think um, is really important. Um, and so I, I, You'll find myself, I've kind of been dancing around this a little bit in this conversation, but uh, um, I will um, bristle at those who dismiss that as a mere attention-getting behavior or, 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 or sign of weakness or whatever. And even, you know, in the context of social media, like, well, um, it just lets you get out there and and post any manner of stuff that you want. And a lot of it can be, you know, if we're just brutally honest with ourselves, is attention-getting seeking behavior where we're looking for attention from other people, like, hey, I'm going to write this kind of thing and I'm, gonna, I'm looking for attention. That's not by itself a bad thing. Um, and uh, so merely dismissing uh, people, sometimes very public, um, um, wrestling with, um, you know, doubt and disillusionment, even if it's coming from a place that seems really cynical and, and, and bad faith from our perspective, we don't know what's in that person's heart and why they're saying those kinds of things. And um, I think we should come down on the side of being, uh, of empathy and uh, an openness to trying to understand what's going on. Uh, but um, even if we bristle at some of the things that, are, that they're saying. Um, so that's one, that's one side of the coin. The other flip side um, is um, there does seem to be a tendency, for many of those who come out the other end of deconstruction um, to hitch their wagon, I should say, to so to speak, to what is arguably another equally dogmatic slash fundamentalist viewpoint on the political slash religious left. So um, there, um, and I've seen examples of that too, um, both in person, uh, both person, um, personal acquaintances and and you know following people online, and so I guess my my attitude on this and I and I don't want to hold myself as up some kind of uh oh gosh I can't I'm going to use this word wrong like I'm above the fray or anything like that because I I'm certainly am not and um but I try to understand why this is happening why somebody's doing this and and I try to withhold um judgment um until I have a lot of evidence for, you know, making that judgment. And um, I, I don't, I'm not very always very good at that. Um, but I think that, that the reason why is that I think in a lot of cases, this sort of shift towards the opposite pole that we see um, um, is of dogmatism, you know, from the, uh, from the right to the left, um, whether it's politically or religious, or usually they go hand in hand. Um, that's may itself be part of that process. And, you know, just because somebody has claimed to have arrived at a certain point, doesn't mean that that's their final destination, you know, and it could be just another step. And and I have seen other people come out with a lot more nuanced, nonpartisan and thoughtful attitudes. So, um, I think, uh, that's just my overall attitude. It's just like coming from my own um, experiences with having come from a fairly um, conservative evangelical background and really um, holding on to a lot of those things a lot harder and longer than I should have, in the sense that it was un- beginning to become unhealthy for my faith. I could, I guess what I'm saying is, I, this is being a little bit autobiographical, but I could have seen myself doing that. I could have seen myself launching into a really, you know, dogmatic um, um, left-wing positions on politically or or religiously or otherwise. Um, And um, the fact that, at least I don't feel like I've done that, um, is because um, and the reason I, well, let me me back up a second. The reason why I, I feel I could see myself having done that is that I held on to some certain um, views that um, for so long that I became so bitter toward them. It's like I I have to hold on to this, but I just you know, and that it could have resulted in this backlash. Um, so I think that's part of it. I, I I'm am I making sense here with what I'm trying to say? <laughs> I think
2: I I think I see where you're going. You know, there it's it, it's almost a question of community, and you know. To, to talk about the move from partisan to nonpartisan versus just going from right wing to left wing. It's, it's, I think that something we need to think about is that people still want to have a home and to deconstruct yeah. out of your religious home can be tough which makes your political home or a, a, a political group or, or platform that is willing to let you come home to them that makes that so much more attractive for these yeah, people that yeah. just cannot that cannot uh, continue to believe and act the way they were raised to believe. It. Yeah, and I,
1: I, that's a yeah, that's a really good point. It has um, I didn't even bring up that aspect of the community because there was there, and I think the reason I didn't is is because I felt like when when I was dealing with a lot of these periods of doubt and, and stuff that I didn't have any community really that really understood this. And I felt like I wasn't, I couldn't talk to um, people about it. The fact that I was able to find some people that um, understood me and were were willing to listen is probably a very good reason why I'm still in the faith today is because there were people that I saw as, as obviously um, strong Christ followers who did not, who were willing to, let me have some of that space to you know voice some of my frustrations and um, yeah so um I think and, and I find myself in a similar position and, and this is not just for um, you know I, uh, going from uh, you know more conservative to less conservative but you know that there, there's certain things that the the opposite direction and I, I think you're right you're you're uh, I'm glad you brought that up about the community aspect of it because I think that's really, really important. And to the extent that there's a dogma uh, equally dogmatic community on the other side waiting for you, it makes that a much more attract, a more force of attraction to pull people into that. So thanks for bringing that up.
2: <laughs>
0: sure. What else would you
1: add, Blake?
2: Well, you know, in terms of thinking about the the political affiliations of your average deconstructor. It just, like I kind of mentioned earlier, it has to be said, the, uh, the chickens coming home to roost, uh, is the metaphor I think of when I think about the way the GOP has kind of lost so much traction. Uh, it's easy to understand how marrying Christianity to Republican politics worked very well for both parties, um, Christians and Republicans, I mean, uh, Back forty years ago, when it was done in the Reagan administration, and now to to see that attempting to be continued, even as somebody you know like Donald Trump is elected, who no matter what you believe or feel about his political uh, aspirations or goals or you know what he was able to do for four years as a as a politician, you have to understand that his his words and his attitudes and some of the things he was. Thought doing, uh, would, you know, people would be rightfully scandalized by him. And in America, there are only two political parties. So if you can't be a Republican anymore, well, you're going to go. And like I said, it's a matter of people want to find a home. Um, they want to have that community and a sense of believing that a lot of other people can share their worldview. So they're not crazy for, for believing what they believe in the first place. And I will say this, something that I, uh, I'm, I've learned, especially in the past few years, more and more, is that people are political, I think, in some ways, so that they can have a place they can outsource their sense of responsibility to. So I'm a hospital chaplain. I actually work with cancer patients, I get to talk to some of the same people over and over again. And I ask people um, about their faith. And it's difficult for me sometimes. I, I, I go through periods where I, where I do ask questions like this, and then I have to back off a little bit. If I ask people questions like, um, what do you view as your responsibilities as a Christian? Um, or how does being a Christian affect how you live in the world day by day? Or if I'm really getting lofty, I go, you know, what do you believe is your purpose in life or what gives you a sense of purpose in life? And it's, can, it can be very discouraging to hear people answer those questions, not because they, you know, can't think of an answer and, and they get depressed by that, just sometimes they don't seem to even understand the questions. And for so many people, uh, and I can say this as like the conservatives who have believed everything all their lives, the evangelicals, that sort of thing, or even the people who are deconstructing out, or maybe, you know, the, the deconstructors are seeing what I'm seeing, is that a lot of people see rel- their religion as just what they believe, and maybe what they don't do, what they restrict themselves from doing, but having almost no bearing on what they ought to be doing with their time on earth, how they ought to be trying to make the world a better place, you know, what they should be seeking in terms of, we have to be honest, social justice. You know, if those words have bad connotations with you, I'm just mean like making things better for society. and so I think evangelicals of 20 to 40 years ago outsourced their responsibilities to Republican politicians and saw uh, voting Republican all the way down the ticket almost as a religious act and not just a political one. And so it makes more sense to me to see that these deconstructing uh, Christians are not voting the way their parents are telling them to, but uh, are being equally partisan and equally you know, passionate about voting for Bernie Sanders and Beto O'Rourke because they believe that those guys, on one hand, because they really do want to see the changes that those guys want to create, and they believe that that uh, coincides with their religious beliefs, um, but also because voting with them means they've done their job, <laughs> uh, whether you agree that that is kind of the sum total of what a Christian's job should be or not. So, in, you, you know, in concert with, or maybe even in the place of being activists, because of their faith and their religious beliefs themselves, they are voting for these people uh, to get those kinds of things done for them and on their behalf.
0: Sounds about right. That sounds about right. And and, and the community angle, I, I, I think I sometimes underestimate uh, just what an outlier I am in terms of uh, social personalities, because I, my working assumption is that uh, I'm going to be on the margins of any group that I happen to land in. So, I mean, I,
1: I, I have,
0: I'm trying to to think if there's been an exception to this and I don't think I can remember one, even if there has been, but I mean, I, I have never even entertained the possibility that I would be on the inside of any kind of, mass movement or any movement of influence i've I've always kind of assumed that i was going to be the one uh you know well i mean you know to to, to use you know plato socrates i mean you know his his phrase is better than any i anything that i could come up with the best i can be probably is a gadfly uh i don't have reins to drive the horse but i might be able to wake the horse up by biting it in the butt <laughs> so uh, you know, but, I, but I realized that, I mean, that kind of personality, uh, is, is marginal. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yeah, you're, you're making me remember that, uh, you know, I might be universalizing some things that, uh, aren't really universal. Well, we need to, we need to move along, uh, so that we can wrap this up. So Blake, I want you to play the futurist here right now in, in early 2022, we're in a weird moment In which uh, attendance at evangelical churches continues to decline, but the portion of Americans who take polls calling themselves white evangelicals is growing. Mm -hmm. So the people in the pews, smaller number, the people who say, I'm a white evangelical, bigger. Uh, At the same time, the number of non evangelical Christians in churches seems to be uh, stabilizing or even on an uptick, even though, as far as I can tell, Neither my own Disciples of Christ mainline denomination, nor the PCA, nor the United Methodists uh, is enjoying anything like a swell in the numbers of worshipers gathered. So, I mean, these are some weird numbers. Uh, You know, I mean, listeners, I mean, you know, uh, if you take a look at the, uh, the Pew Foundation website, you can find a number of these studies. They make me scratch my head. Blake, what sense can we make of them? <laughs> um it's an
2: interesting it's an interesting question. I've I've listened to uh, a couple of different podcasts, probably mostly political podcasts that talk about how the the word evangelical is losing a lot of its religious uh, connotations and even definition and becoming a political term. So people who probably you know have no idea what that word means in a religious context are saying it because and just using it as a shorthand for Republican or Having conservative values, that sort of thing. So when it when it uh, comes to this idea that we're seeing fewer and fewer people going to church, um, people are not becoming atheists. They're just becoming spiritual, but not religious. Or they're they're kind of having a buffet style approach to uh, their theological beliefs and saying, "I'm going to take this and I'm going to take that from from these different religions." And these two things that a lot of people would say are absolutely contradictory. I'm still going to be able to hold him in tension, that kind of thing, like heaven plus reincarnation or anything like that. Um, my guess is that we're going to be moving in a few major directions. The first one, the easy one to say is less religious affiliation overall. People are, are finding it less and less necessary and less and less valuable uh, to pick a side and, and kind of declare that they are Christians or anything else. And they're certainly um, not you know, able to, to give a, a good argument for why they want to be any kind of specific denomination. Part of that is because of the second idea, I think, is the internet. People are able to get information. They're able to get theological understanding or you know, conjecture at the very least, and maybe even training if you want to be very optimistic. But individual denominations are... Kind of behind the time, behind the curve in terms of making their specific flavor of Christianity uh, appealing or or come off as necessary. And like I said, as a chaplain, I talk to a lot of people, and the coronavirus, you know, accelerated this quite a bit. Who say that they are going to church every Sunday, but it's a Zoom session, or they're listening to their preferred preachers by a podcast, or they're watching. Charles Stanley and Joel Osteen on Sunday mornings, that's their church. I actually I know, you know, just a quick aside, my the notation I write when I hear that is church on TV. So take that for whatever it's worth. And of course, the funny thing is that's what people in their 70s are saying. Whereas people who are younger, I would argue I don't get to talk to as many of them, but they're saying, you know, oh, I follow that pastor on Instagram or that person makes good Bible content on TikTok. that's kind of feeding into this idea of you just get a buffet of opinions and you can pick and choose almost to the sense of what else would you do what else would you do you go to the same building and listen to one guy for the next 10 years of your life tell you what to do why would you do that you know how do you make a case for uh doing that when when somebody else uh going between zoom and instagram makes the most sense in the world the third one, you probably can already know this, is that things are going into the mega church model. Um, you know, either a church in inside a football stadium or an enormous auditorium or, uh, you know, 10 churches in eight cities, but they're all getting a, a satellite feed of the same guy, you know, somewhere in a, a town you've never been in or maybe, you know, the largest town in there. Um, the benefit, you might say, and you might put that in quotation marks of there is, it's just kind of like Zoom or church on TV. You get to kind of have more community. You're sitting next to somebody when the electric guitar worship song plays, you get to be there in, in the live music of it. So that's better. But at the same time, you know, the the pastor doesn't know your name. He might not have ever been in the same room as you. Um, and you're not going to have to listen to things like, uh, we need to pray for our sister in the hospital. And you're also not going to have to be asked questions like, would you be willing to give, you know, some food, like make a, a casserole for the, other, the sister, who, her family, if she's in the hospital, that sort of thing. So kind of everything you do want to feel connected and nothing you don't want to feel, you know, has to be more responsibility. And the last one, thankfully, optimistically, uh, I'd say there's going to be more people for whom none of that is ultimately satisfying, or they read the Bible and say, that's not the church that I see in the Bible. That's not what I want to have. That's not how I can best practice my faith and serve and worship my God. So they're gonna found new churches where the essentials of the Bible and the church and our teachings and our, our hope is taught and discovered all over again. So in the midst of all of that fragmentation and you know a few extra definitions of the word deconstruction, maybe I think we are gonna see some people Uh, who say, you know what, if I can't find it anywhere else, I'll just do it myself. And other people kind of glomming onto that and going, yeah, we we honestly think that that small church where everybody knows each other and we do make casseroles for each other, that's the one we actually do want to be a part of.
0: Dan, what would you add?
1: Uh, I don't have anything to add to that. It was good.
0: (laughs) All right, then. I think we can head for the door then. Um, I want to send this around the horn here at the end of the episode. So Dan, what questions should we Christians be asking when it comes to this particular phenomenon that's called deconstruction, even if, uh, old farts like me don't like that word, um, fire one question or fire three in there and then pass the baton to Blake and then we'll take it home.
1: Yeah, I think, um, big question we can ask is what can we learn from this phenomenon of deconstruction um specifically how can we use it to reflect on our own faith journeys whether we consider ourselves to be have having undergone deconstruction of our own or not um i think it's this um reading people's stories about what they're what they've gone through um and taking what they say seriously and um and not just the uh, social media sound bites So don't don't i, I think um something I didn't mention before, but I think isn't good to bring up here is that um, I think a lot of times that we get, we see people post uh, little nuggets on social media and uh, we say, well, wow, man, that's, that's crazy. Or, or that's a, that's really um, that's really extreme or, or, you know, whatever. And I think what we're seeing, we got to remember is that um, that often social media is representing just the hardest edge of people's uh, viewpoints, real, you know, view, viewpoints in that if you were to get them in a room and to have a deeper conversation, you'd find out that, oh, there's a lot more nuance and thought behind this. And they, they, you, you know, a lot of times you'll hear people say, I, oh, yeah, I would have said it, this differently, but you know, you'd only get however many characters or, or whatever. <laughs> um, I think that, that that's something that we, um, uh, we tend to forget. Uh, and, so I think we should have an, a spirit of openness and and willingness to um, listen to what what what's actually happening, what are what um, and how we can use that to um, be uh, better believers on um, no matter where we are in that. So that, that's really that's it. That's what I got Blake, Give us some questions.
2: Sure. Uh the first question I would ask would be how can Christians who really value what we believe to be sound theology and the the power of tradition and I you know to put it in blunt terms who go to church and like it and and don't feel like we need to kind of throw out the bathwater and or the baby or anything like that how can we make a compelling case for that way of living and that way of understanding our faith in a world where, you know, Derrida's idea of, well, don't, you know, what is truth (laughs) kind of thing or what is authority and what do words even mean? How can we make what uh, has been seen as traditional and maybe even uh, too conservative or or too stale for its time? How can we make that attractive again and compelling and, and worth taking at least a look at And the other one uh, comes from a a position of if we believe that these people are deconstructing because they are asking questions of themselves that they don't feel like they can ask anywhere else or in the places they grew up, or if they are feeling feelings that they don't believe anybody else will have or will want them to have, uh, how can we in more conservative places, or you know, who are not deconstructing and don't feel like we need to deconstruct, uh, expose the way we have doubted, we have wrestled, and or we have done something like deconstructing, so that we don't give off this notion of, well, we all believe this hook, line, and sinker. We have no problem with it, and you should too, or else you're out. Can we make a space within our traditions, within our denominations, uh, to say? yeah, uh, that's a hard pill for me to swallow too. Or I've doubted that myself. And I'll, I'll be willing to answer your questions and even be willing to say, I don't know the answer to that. Um, and that's not the end of our relationship.
0: Very good. And I kind of tipped my hands already. But, uh, you know, the question that continues to uh, press on my mind is, uh, what kinds of theological truth and and specifically what kinds of structures within the scriptures themselves Mm -hmm. uh, does this phenomenon help us to see? Uh, And, you know, as you heard earlier, I I lean a lot more 20th than 21st century on this, uh, but I still think that there is something to be said uh, for treating phenomena like this, you know, as occasions to learn uh, rather than occasions to stop learning for the sake of preserving what we've already already learned. Uh, now I mean part of that is because I'm an English professor. I'll go ahead and grant that uh, but you know I didn't become an English professor because I thought it was a bad way to be. So <laughs> with all that um, Dan and Blake, thank you so much for coming on the show. Sure Thanks yeah, great. And uh, you know our next show uh, I should have written this down and uh, you know you'll see announcements. Uh, you, you know that there's a Facebook group, you know, that there's a website, but uh, the next episode is either going to be about a uh, mid 20th century radio drama, or it is going to be about the, uh, the sci fi and Amazon Prime series, the expanse, which one of those comes first. I'm not sure because neither one's been recorded yet. <laughs> and what I've learned in this pandemic era is uh, guessing when things are going to get recorded is a suckers game. So it's going to be one of those two. Until then, uh, you can find us on uh, christianhumanist.org. You can email us at theChristianHumanist@gmail.com. at right. gmail.com. We have a uh, Facebook group uh, that's, that's labeled the Christian Humanist Podcast. You'll see an announcement for this show, and we would be thrilled to read your responses to it. Christian Humanist Podcast is part of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Uh, our audio editor this time, and I'm so sorry, Michael, is Michael Farmer. And uh, this is Nathan Gilmore in behalf of Dan Dawson and Blake Miller saying, let your sins be strong, let your faith be stronger.